Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Discovery Group Vice President of EMEA and International Content, Miriam Lopez-Atazu, about the launch of Discovery+. Plus, And from Curiosity Streams, Devin Emery and Bakuri Davis, about how they're responding to increased competition in the factual streaming space. Discovery Plus, the new streamer from global factual giant Discovery, launched at the start of this year in the US with an international rollout underway across Europe, Latin America and Asia. The company has already clocked up 11 million subscribers for the service and Miriam Lopez-Utazu, Group Vice President of EMEA and International Content, spoke with Clive Whittingham about how this is informing Discovery's commissioning strategy both for linear and streaming and how to pitch the company ideas. My name is Miriam Lopez-Atazu and I actually am Group VP for content for sourcing acquisitions for Europe and international at Discovery. Uh, a recent um, position where you have been with Discovery for a while and obviously the big news, some of the biggest news in television this year has been the launch of Discovery Plus and the subscriber figures around there. Just as a, broadly to start with, how has Discovery Plus changed your job? I guess it's like Discovery Plus has changed kind of our ecosystem in general in Discovery. So we are super excited to have joined the streaming kind of uh, like the streaming wars, that's how it's called in the industry, hopefully with a a disruptive offering. So we see Discovery Plus as the definitive destination for a scripted storytelling. And I think that that is really uh, what we say that is the Discovery Plus difference. So I'm very excited to be part of that journey with Discovery. I, I don't say that my role is necessarily different in the meaning that I continue to scout and look and partner with the content teams for the best ideas out there. It's just that it's open to, to more and different uh, type of content. So we are embracing truly that discovery plus difference because we, we truly feel that we are one of ones. That I always say that it's like that heritage that the discovery carries with the amazing opportunity that the plus brings us. So that's kind of an exciting time to be part of the journey. What we want to dig down to in this really is how uh, the content's going to differ from the linear channel and the, and the streamer and what producers and distributors can take away from that. So let's let's break it down piece by piece. Talk to me first about the linear channels that you still commission and acquire for. What are they and what sort of content do, do you bring into them? We can, if you want, Clive, we can deep a bit, uh, go a bit deeper into kind of the content strategy overall. So Discovery Plus, we, we see that kind of uh, as a, a three-pillar kind of uh, tiering. And I think it's easier to explain. So we have an unbeatable library of Discovery IP that we've been commissioning for a long time and 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 we we have more than 50,000 hours of volume i think the f- the what is unique about discovery plus is that for the first time they are all in one place so if you are a super fan of things like um gold rush or 90 day fiance universe or ghost adventures you'll be able to find it there and that's kind of quite unique it's uh, is the biggest unscripted library that is out there which is kind of great and then to complement this we we are really aggressively both uh, acquiring and commissioning and that actually happens in various ways on the on the acquisition side that maybe we can go a bit um, deeper 
Um, we are securing premium third party exclusively for Discovery Plus. So that's incremental to what we are doing for our linear businesses. And it's different because the filters are different. I think the consumer profile is slightly bit different and bar, um, market by market, we need to complement the global offering in different ways. So that comes in the shape of either volume deals, uh, like the one that we've announced with the BBC and helps us to attract kind of the best natural history offering outside of the UK, but also very bespoke deals for international and Europe specifically, where we might want to have like stories that are more relevant to our viewers in, in Europe and, and, and kind of very local, local stories, local formats um, or formats that we can localize, better said, and then, um, and then some kind of um, documentaries in areas that maybe the US is not thinking of, like maybe sports documentaries or kind of uh, relevant stories. And then finally, we have this kind of um, the cherry on top that is all of the Discovery Plus originals that again are incremental and differ from what we are doing on linear. So there is a great collaboration uh, between the content community and the markets are continuing to scout for ideas for linear. But there is a big focus for us on what is that billboard worthy mass watch originals that they are differentiating. And I think that's what is kind of maybe keeping us busier right now. It sounds like the, the originals that you're commissioning for the Discovery Plus need to be, I don't know, noisier? Are we talking sort of shorter run but more marketable series compared to maybe the returners that are in greater volume for the linear? How, how does it differ? Yeah, I think the, the consumers are have different expectations from uh, a streaming environment and I think that gives us uh, an edge to be probably have greater risks to, to tell stories in a different way. We are not so uh, restricted by maybe the format or the duration. So I think the beauty of like a streaming um, universe is that the story will follow whatever it needs to follow to be told in the best, most engaging way. And that's harder to do in a, in a linear brand. So what we say is like for Discovery Plus is that we have, yeah, maybe an edgier appetite is um, um, more hunger for things that are kind of more definitive, that allow us to tell the story differently, to, to maybe have shorter run. It's just like that freedom of neither the format is not an issue, the duration is not an issue, and I think the plus is very embraced. So I won't shy away for partners in terms of distributors and producers to bring us ideas that maybe don't follow that kind of discovery heritage of the past and then embrace that plus. And, and I can give examples. Sometimes we talk briefing uh, possible partners. We talk about what happened if one of our brands will have a child with another brand? What happens if, uh, if an ID fan will kind of find a story of like crime, but it's like with a twist of like sports? What is like if you're a sport, an ID will have a child, what will have happened? And then maybe you see something like what killed Maradona, for instance, that is kind of more of that investigation uh, true crime filter, but with an idol that is more of a sports legend. So it's great to see kind of that possibilities of like mixing kind of spaces and then doing things totally new um, like maybe featured documentaries that we we didn't really do that much for linear but are taking a prominent space in the offering is the audience different for the streamer compared i mean obviously some of your linear channels skew more females some of them skew more male and i i get that but generally speaking is the audience older younger what have you, what have you learned so far from who's subscribed we we're still learning so we only launch in january um uh, kind of more aggressively so we are kind of learning i think 
think in in realities, like in general, most of the markets is a younger audience. We are not surprised about that. And I think they are as engaged with Factual as they were in a fact in our kind of linear environment. We we had an amazing year last year. Our average audience grew by 10% internationally. So I think people are craving stories in the non-scripted or real, real life entertainment, as we call it. But we are still learning. And I think obviously our markets are very different. So so sometimes when we think about Discovery Plus or what Discovery Plus is doing for us, we need to consider that we are not a global streamer per se. We tend to describe ourselves more like a global streamer. So we have a global offering coming from the US and obviously the change that they might have seen in that market specifically might be uh, in, in their subscribers. It's very related as well to the type of partnership that they, they have, to the type of content that they have. And that might actually be a slightly bit different to the audiences that we are engaging in Scandinavia, where kind of uh, penetration is bigger and, and we are kind of more of a reality and dating and relationships player in the market. So it brings us a naturally younger skewing audience to Discovery Plus versus Linear. So I think we have to take into consideration that we are not losing that very, very important local differentiator in what we do and, and that translates in different kind of consumers in, in each market. Does that mean then that when you're commissioning um, originals for the streaming service, it won't necessarily be for every territory that the streamer is in? You'll have a Spanish original or a UK original and it'll just be on Discovery Plus in that territory or do they will they go everywhere? So we we have always have an ambition to own IP. That's kind of have been our kind of model at Discovery. You know, producers know, I think the industry know that we have an appetite to own IP um, aggressively. And to obviously, it's not only for the ownership, but also to share stories globally. So what it means, I think, is that we see uh, both ways of an IP traveling. So we see the great work that maybe Lisa Holm and her team and the and the creative and development and production teams within the US networks are doing in helping us to build a slate of Discovery Plus originals that have that ambition of being global. Uh, and we see super exciting titles coming from that pipeline, something like from Queen of Crystal Meth to the new spin-offs of 90 Day Fiancé to Super Soul with Oprah. So those are kind of, they've always been conceived for a global market. But we are also finding that uh, local stories are very important. And those local stories come from either localization of kind of big uh, formats. So we've just recently launched Love Island in Italy or uh, Bad Habit Holy, Holy Orders in Italy. So those localizations are really, really valuable and will continue to hopefully send a strong message to the markets that we are in for for formats, we really see that rolling out is a, is a really a superb thing that we can do as Discovery, not to lose who we are, to maybe find ways of collaborating and rolling out ideas, but really localize them aggressively. So I'll give you an example. This year, we licensed Naked Attraction at the tape, and we were super excited to see Naked Attraction also to take part of Discovery Plus, and people were surprised. 
And then we've not only kind of had success with the UK tape in, uh, across uh, different territories, but we've also localized it. So we now have a naked attraction local version in Finland and another one in Italy and one soon launching in Norway. So I think that local element and uh, and I think that is a is an exciting opportunity for particularly format uh, developers and producers to see in us not only like a global streamer but also like a local partner. And finally, in that local point, I will highlight as well that we see amazing local stories resonating at a global level. So it's not only the US commissioning and kind of sharing IP with us globally, but also local markets to elevate incredible stories. So this year we did this commission, last year actually, the, the team in Sweden commissioned this story on Estonia, the, the boat that sank um, in 1994. And, and it's so like 80, 852 people um, died in that accident, one of the biggest kind of ferry disasters in history. And we went down and they opened the investigation would kind of an extraordinary um, uh, result. And, and that, that series, it was a Swedish commission. It not only traveled successfully across Scandinavia, but it's only now streaming in the UK and in Italy and as of this week in the US. And, and we'll hopefully find those kind of local stories in local language that in an environment of a, of a Discovery Plus streaming world, they will really, really resonate and can find an audience um, outside of the originating markets. So we are excited about that too. Will everything that you commission for your linear channels now automatically end up on the streamer or is it is it coast by coast? Um, that's a good question. We, I think, as I was saying, each market is slightly bit different. We have an ambition, obviously, to really drive growth for Discovery Plus. And, and I think our subscribers should have a window of exclusivity and a preview of everything by default. Sometimes there is obviously affiliate agreements in place that might actually dictate something different. But the reality is that if you're a Discovery Plus subscriber, you'd probably get to see not only the originals, but in most markets also a preview of anything that is kind of conceived for a later life in, in linear. But we, we're learning, we're experimenting with windowing, we are experimenting with what that means in each market and, and really trying to, to super serve the needs of the of the subscribers and have them engage. So, so we'll continue to see what that means in the in the next coming weeks and months. A producer's coming to pitch you an idea. Should they just come and pitch the idea and you'll decide whether it's for, for linear or streamer? Or are you finding that people are coming and pitching you specifically for the streamer? It's quite organic. Uh, and I think it's like we have a very engaged content community, both across markets with their local producers and partners or centrally, uh, um, internationally within the team. So we, uh, in the case of acquisitions, for instance, we've we've kind of put a very clear message in the market that we are hungry for exclusive premium stories. And those are most definitely being looked at for Discovery Plus. With commissions, I think sometimes it depends on the type of idea we, we could see potentially need. And then we developed it in a slightly different way for Discovery Plus than we would do maybe for Linear. So we are having organic discussions. So there is not a dedicated team saying, okay, this is 
the Discovery Plus team and this is the linear team. So we are one content team and, and in one way, a good story will find um, its way internally and then will define what it means in terms of format, duration and where it starts. So the, the brief is common. Can you explain to me what you mean by you may develop it differently if it's going to the streamer as opposed to the linear channel? I mean, is that purely sort of series length and episode length or is there, is there more to it? Does a Discovery Plus show look different to a Discovery Channel show? Uh, it's a good question. I think it's like the good thing is like there is more breadth in the Discovery Plus and maybe in that kind of linear because our most of our brands outside of the general entertainment broadcast network type of brands that we have maybe in Scandinavia or in Poland or in, in Italy maybe. Most of our brands in Europe are kind of more vertical passion brands. So you are more limited to kind of the type of commission you will do for maybe DMAX or Quest in the UK or DMAX in Germany. So you, you might kind of conceive the show to be like for an audience in an environment. The beauty of Discovery Plus is that we can remove that and it could actually blend into an ecosystem that is kind of a streaming world and, and is different. So it is more elastic. I think the filters, as we were talking before, are slightly bit different too. So you don't conceive it in the same way from a format perspective. You don't need to think so aggressively about that return of investment in the sense of, okay, I really need to make this a 10-part series to work for us. We just really want the, the best story for the uh, subscribers. And, and that gives us a bit of flexibility of format, duration, and probably the tone, I think it can be, we always say it needs to be billboard work. We need to be telling a story that is kind of worth people talking about and creates conversation and people say, I really want to be part of Discovery Plus. Are the budgets different? Everyone always clams up when I ask this, but uh, I'm going to ask it anyway. Are they get, is it bigger budget stuff for the streamer? We don't talk really content budgets externally. I think we've uh, historically in some markets have had tariffs to commission. So we'll continue to work in the brackets of what we've been comfortable with uh, in some in those territories. The, the beauty, as I say, is like because we are looking for things that are generally different to what we've been doing for linear. Sometimes it's just that we've never discussed with our producer or we've never kind of looked at that type of uh, content before. So in that sense, yes, sometimes budgets are different because they are new to us. But we don't necessarily think that just simply because you are in a streaming environment, you need to be paying more per hour so to find that quality. So I think it's it's kind of a project by project basis. Um, some of of the things that we've been doing in markets are incredibly competitive and, and, and we've been having those same conversations that we were doing, I don't know, with X on the beach in the Nordics or Bake of Italia or some of our content discussions that we've been having for formats, the conversations are the same. It's just that maybe we're hungrier for a specific spaces and those probably open to have more volumes in maybe in true crime or in dating and relationships and reality uh, that maybe we had in linear. Your job on the European side to... Um, double down on what works from the American side or to supplement it with different stuff? Should people be looking at what works on TLC in America and thinking, oh, I could do a, a sort of an Italian version of that? Or do you try and uh, produce something different? We obviously see kind of anything that is incremental to our internal offering as kind of something that complements. It needs to add uh, something that we don't have internally. So uh, obviously there are spaces in Discovery Plus in the US that actually can guide 
of where are we putting our efforts and, and we will be looking very carefully and at the data and, and what actually consumers prefer and watch and, and engage with. And that will guide the decisions. It's not so much just the internal slate, but actually how that internal slate translates in terms of performance uh, globally and internationally. And then in Europe specifically, we need to complement. So it's, it's, we, we've seen it. We don't want to lose that local edge. And that means sometimes that we have to do maybe within the core spaces that really resonate, but maybe different type of projects. So it's not as simple as maybe adapting something that we see performing in TLC US. It's also about what else do consumers expect from us, maybe in a market like Italy or in a market like um, Spain, for instance, and, and offer that differentiation there. Uh, finally, the, the audience for this article and for the, for the podcast interview is mostly going to be producers and distributors. If they're coming to pitch you stuff in the next few weeks or months, what advice can you give them, either specific stuff you're looking for or not looking for, or just advice for, for coming to pitch you and your team? What would you say to them? First of all, to bring a lot of things to us that we are hunger, hungry for great content, great stories. Um, I think they they there is an appetite for real, unscripted, uh, real life entertainment. We are seeing it in the market. And to bring us ideas, I think because of that point of like the content community is either to myself, but also to the create great creative leaders in markets. If you're based in the UK, to tap into Claire and Simon, or if you're based in Italy, just to go to Laura and her team. So continue to see us like a content community of creators. And we'll find the the way of kind of coming together and define what's kind of the the next step for that specific IP. But yeah, and also and, and consider I always say embrace that plus, embrace that kind of uh, edginess of like of a story, and think of like what is new in that angle. What what is definitive about that documentary? Why are we reopening that case? So think is like sometimes we we really want to be tapping into this real stories and we see a lot of cases from the past and we normally ask internally and, and externally to the partners, why now? What's new about the story? What what would we offering to the consumers that is more definitive or like the final? We just want to have that voice of saying it's worth spending the next hour and a half with us because you'll be finding something that is uniquely extraordinary in the story. So um, it's not only bring us great stories, but bring us great stories that have a reason to be uh, commissioned right now so that people talk and have uh, that hunger and desire to watch. Do you have a target for how many hours of originals you're aiming for? I mean, you haven't got schedule to fill with a streamer, so it's presumably it's less prohibitive. Are you aiming for like 200 hours or do you know? We don't have like a target in mind of like, oh, we need to hit. We we were quite clear when we launched that we were aggressive in the US. We launched with more than 50 titles, which was actually a very impressive slate um, for a streamer. And we are, and we are feeding this Discovery Plus, we see that people really crave more. So, so we don't have any specific target. We just want to make sure that if there is a story that needs to be told, we just actually jump on it and, and, and do it. Different markets will have obviously different goals and different priorities and maybe different volumes in mind uh, because of that kind of combination of the global pipeline and that like local differentiator that we want to do. So it may vary if you're in a very big market like Sweden versus if you're in a smaller territory but definitely not kind of we've now have 150 titles this year we are kind of close for business is absolutely not we are 
uh, we're really hungry for great ideas. So um, and and then define it. It takes time as well to to put them in place. So we'll we'll continue to assess. Miriam Lopez Atasu from Discovery. Curiosity Stream was founded five years ago by John Hendricks, the same exec who set up Discovery over three decades ago. The factual focus streamer is now having to deal with the latter parking its tanks on its lawn. Chief Product Officer and Executive Vice President of Content Strategy Devin Emery and Managing Director of International Bakuri Davis spoke with Clive Whittingham about this, how the pandemic has affected their originals pipeline and the company's commissioning strategy for 2021. I am Bakori Davis. I am the managing director and head of international. Uh, I manage our international group at CuriosityStream. We are a streaming service uh, that is available in over 175 countries globally. And I am Devin Emery. I'm our chief product officer and EVP of content strategy. So I uh, oversee a few things, including marketing and acquisition, product and technology, as well as the content strategy we employ on our SVOD and channels. Why don't we start with 2020, Guys, obviously, you would have had business plans at the start of the year and uh, an idea of what the 12 months coming up uh, was going to look like for you guys. How did the whole pandemic affect things for Curiosity Stream? Yeah, so I actually started at the very end of 2019, and so it was kind of you know getting into everything, looking at a lot of areas that we might want to you know, make changes to on the marketing side, on the on the product side, on the on the content side. And you know, I think we were making some some decent progress. And then, as you know, everyone knows, in the November to March timeframe, you know, the world kind of flipped upside down. And and, you know, especially from with the United States perspective, things were happening. I don't think we had a good solid grasp on what was happening kind of all around the world um, through kind of the winter into, into spring. And then those two weeks in, in March, really, when things, you know, it felt like years, right, where everything was changing so significantly day to day. It kind of felt that way from a business perspective, too. Like things were changing really, really quickly. For streaming, kind of with, with hindsight, everyone knows that what happened ended up being a boon to an extent to streaming services because people are spending more time inside looking for more content to watch. And I think, you know, fortuitously, we did see that early. And so we were able to make adjustments um, to be able to kind of meet people, to lower our pricing, to get people in, you know, when they had some uncertainty. And so we were able to, you know, leverage what was happening into positivity for the business on the SVOD side. But it's also one of those, you know, great, glad we were able to handle that. But at the same time, you know, you never, obviously, you never want to see that sort of situation. So, um, you know, and I think, Bakori, you joined uh, even like kind of in the midst of everything that was going on. So from our perspective, yeah. it's kind of interesting because we we have spent more time here at CuriosityStream in this kind of situation than outside of it. Yeah, it's interesting. From an international perspective, um, I joined, as you said, Devin, uh, right around July uh, of 2020. And so um, for me, kind of the biggest impact, obviously, when your focus is growing the business uh, across global markets, yet you cannot travel to global markets, <laughs> it makes it quite difficult to really uh, continue to kind of push your cause. And I think, um, you know, so much is placed on the the networking and discussions and dialogue we can have at some of the industry events and trade events. And, um, you know, when that shuts down, uh, a lot is uh, reduced to Zoom. You know, in a lot of ways that that, that slows things down. Uh, but at the same time, obviously, I think we've created a much more efficient way to to have a lot of the meetings that, you know, we've done in person. I, I think we've forever changed how we, we meet with each other. But you know, it's safe to say people will be glad to get back out and, and talk to each other and do meetings live and in person. So that's what we're looking forward to coming out of this. It's true. From a, a content point of view, how did it affect you guys? Because obviously you've got acquisitions, which I shouldn't imagine were affected too much, but also a 
original productions which may have had to go on hold things that you thought you were going to be able to use for marketing in sort of july august september time that perhaps didn't deliver how did that all play out we were fortunate in that a lot of our kind of tentpole projects for the year were already in post by the time that everything started shutting down so a lot of things that we had planned on releasing in 2020 we were still able to release because as people were staying home you know post is probably the easiest part of the process to be able to to do from home there was some delay on things that were in production um, but the nice thing about our overall global setup is that different parts of the world were shut down different amounts at different times throughout the year right so a lot of our international projects were able to keep going when parts of the united states were even in within the united states there were areas that you were able to produce in and that you weren't able to other places um that plus the fact that in factual you can create really great archival shows allowed us to continue creating originals um, including you know originals that were based on the coronavirus which did really really well you know we weren't breaking the news but we were taking the deep dives uh, and we were able to do you know so socially distanced interviews um, to be able to supplement all of that plus what you were talking about with acquisitions. Um, we we feel like we didn't really skip a beat in terms of getting content out for our audience. Um, but again, we're playing in kind of a different sandbox than scripted, you know, uh, very, you know, ton- massive production crew um, type productions. Yeah, and, be- and because of everything that Devin just said, uh, which is all was, was all great for us, I think uh, from a partner standpoint, a lot of the partners that we work with internationally benefited from that because, um, you know, a lot of the productions that they had and a lot of the acquisitions they used to do themselves, you know, slowed and came to a grinding halt in many cases, but we were able to kind of really step in and have a great pipeline of content that we could deliver. And uh, it made a big difference to our partners. That pipeline, uh, are you all set for, because obviously there's been second waves, third waves, local lockdowns and whatever going on all through the the autumn, the winter, and now into Mm -hmm. the spring. How does your content pipeline look for, for 2021? Is there going to be a lag at any point for this? There's not. Um, you know, it's 2021 is our most robust year ever in terms of originals and acquisitions and everything that we're putting on the service and, uh, and on all of our all, all of our platforms. So, you know, if there was any sort of lag, it was how we reacted to filling in, you know, a little bit of the space last year where we might have pushed some tent poles um, by a little bit of time. But again, we were able to do that with archival originals, with uh, with library acquisitions. And this year, um, you know, we we recently released part of our original slate. Really strong, really robust. We don't anticipate that there's going to be any issues in, in having that all come out when we're expecting it to. It was, in theory, a great time for streamers because, like you say, everyone's locked at home and um, hungry for content. So, so signing up to to subs, did it actually turn out like that for you guys? I mean, did it, did you did you outperform subs? And how do you hold on to them? You know, as as we go through into 2021? Yeah, I mean, it, it did. You know, we were, if we weren't the first, we were among the first companies overall, um, let alone streamers, who were investing into everyone pulling all of their money out of marketplaces, um, you know, th- which makes sense. When there's a lot of uncertainty, people want to, you know, pause, kind of get the lay of the land. As I was saying before, we were, you know, fortunate in that we kind of recognized what was going on and we really started investing into, you know, all of the auction-based marketing platforms, Facebook, Google, as people were taking all their money out, the CPMs dropped, but people were looking for our types of services. So we were able to, at that point, and at the same time, we were also cutting our price to be able to, you know, we wanted to support the audience as well. And so all of that together, we saw a very quick, very strong growth at the uh, end of March, you know, through May, based mostly on that. Uh, but things started normalizing over the next couple of months. And, you know, people were coming back, especially streamers, uh, e-commerce and, uh, you know, gaming and that sort of thing. And so there's a bit of normalization in the advertising market. 
Um, and then we were able to look at other places where do we, you know, work with people, find those audiences who, you know, Curiosity Stream is not necessarily a ubiquitously known brand, but it has a lot of passion within the audiences that we have uh, infiltrated and that we're working with and, and who love us. And so leveraging that and leveraging, you know, everyone coming in to catalyze that growth. Um, and then on the retention side, I think that's a really good point. Look, at the very beginning of this, I was looking around and looking at what streaming services were doing. And honestly, I thought people were making a fair number of mistakes, right? You know, totally ungating, um, doing maybe just like extended free trials but like not even having to sign up. And I understand it. And you always want to support your audience and you always want to do that. But at the same time, it's really hard then to keep those relationships. And the idea is that, you know, during this time, during people checking out your content, to the extent that people want to stay with you, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to stay with you. And so if you look at the retention curves and, you know, there's uh, there's data out there, our retention on a someone who signed up in April is over 80%. And the next highest in kind of our cohort is I think 55, 60 or something like that. Um, so we really thought through, you know, how do we support our audience now, but how do we also build these relationships? So it's not a fleeting experience for them. So it's not a fleeting relationship with them. And so, you know, we have our annual plans. That's what we're discounting. That's what we're getting people onto. That gives us a lot more time to, to learn them, to get them more content, to get them into our platform versus, Hey, you have 30 days free, or you have 90 days free, you know, watch as much as you can, and then you got to get out. And so we've been able to keep those relationships, make them longer. And then we have every um, you know anticipation that those people are going to stay around with us for a very long time and bring more people into our environment. So you guys have done the analysis and have the algorithms and, and know probably better than linear channels do. Who is, who subscribe? to curiosity stream and watches uh, watches your stuff you know it's funny it's it's very broad um you know people kind of think like okay who's like you know people go through the uh process of sally as a 24 year old like that sort of thing we don't have that mm -hmm. we are very broadly accessible and very broadly loved how people find us and why they love us does differ between groups right so as i think everyone knows the linear cable networks that used to kind of be in the factual space have for the most part moved away from that very heavily into reality tv but there's still a ton of people who really want what discovery channel for example, was founded to be. And so older demographics that are no longer getting that on linear um, love us for that reason, right? We're kind of providing that hole that was left in the content package that they had. That being said, people who are 18 to 24, you know, younger millennials, Gen Z, never had that relationship with, you know, let alone linear television, but any of the factual programmers on linear, right? And so if we were to say, you know, we're great because we're filling that hole, they'd be like, that never existed for me. So there, you know, we work with um, YouTube creators, YouTube channels, you know, influencers creating educational and informational content. Um, we talk about how, you know, they're creating a lot of really good content. And we have tons more, the biggest library of this sort of thing, you know, off of YouTube and off of these other platforms. And so younger generations love us for, for those reasons. Um, so, you know, we're, we're about evenly split male, female. Um, the largest, I guess, concentration demographic we have is somewhat older millennials, but really there's no standard age demographic that is less than double digit percentages of our audience makeup. So what we're doing is we're creating a product that is extremely broadly loved. And then we're, you know, targeting people with the messages of why it's going to fit into their day-to-day -day and their content consumption based on who they are demographically. Yeah, and Clive, I think, um, you know, one of the big benefits of that broad range that we have is uh, when we do work with partners, we're often able to help them reach the people that they're trying to reach. And, you know, that varies, as you can imagine, from market to market, from platform to platform. Uh, oftentimes, you'll have a lot of, uh, you know, operators or distributors who, you know, they 
they really do have an older demographic who they want to help transition to the nonlinear world. And, uh, you know, we're one of the perfect products to help them do that. Uh, and, and in other cases, uh, they do want to reach millennials that uh, have an interest in, in factual programming. And obviously, um, you know, obviously very targeted for us and easy for us to do that. And so, and, and you know, yet again, you have people who want to provide family friendly, a safe place for people to have productive programming, given that people are spending so much time at home and maybe that's their focus, something more educational. Uh, and obviously we're a perfect fit for that as well. So I think the fact that we do have such a broad range of people we appeal to and, you know, that we are very family friendly for, for all ages uh, has given us a big advantage uh, in working with partners. What makes a curiosity theme show? Um, is it is it to do with genres or is there, are there particular genres or styles that you can pinpoint that makes it a show for you as opposed to a, a show for, for somebody else? And there are, are there any particular trends in content that you're seeing for 2021 that you guys are keen to tap into? Yeah, I mean, we the factual category, I think, broadly defined means different things to different people. And I'd say that we have potentially a narrower definition of what factual is. And I think that is what kind of builds our brand, right? Um, you know, plenty of people refer to them as factual and then, you know, their flagship shows are talking to ghosts through walkie-talkies. That's not what we're doing. Um, but, you know, at the same time, within that, we cover the, the whole category, the full category, and there's a ton that we're able to do. So when we're looking at, you know, what are we investing into? What are our tentpole originals? You know, part of it is we want to make sure that we're investing into all of the categories because we want to super serve every single one of them. And then a lot of it is who's involved, you know, what are the stories that we're, that we're able to tell? And so it's mostly that, right. It's that within the, the genres that we're playing, there's a ton of great work going on and we're kind of the best platform for it. So we do have a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, one interesting thing that I find out there is that, you know, every streaming service, every media company has a factual category and that's great. You know, there's plenty of really great stuff on a lot of services, but you know, it's usually smaller. It's usually kind of a, a piece of their overall offering and always it's a piece of their overall offering. And so a lot of projects would rather work with a company that wants to really push this high-end content as kind of the big thing for their brand versus potentially relegate it to a shelf that may or may not get play. And so we're always looking for those opportunities. You know, we have a lot of great partnerships with distributors and producers. We have a lot of great content areas that we can play in. And so we're just matching those together. Let's talk about the competitive landscape out there at the moment. Streaming was competitive anyway. And like you say, a lot of these big name streamers, uh, Netflix, Peacock, HBO, Mac, whatever, Factual is only a part of their offering. Uh, whereas Curiosity Stream was out there to start with as a pure factual streamer is quite unique in that, uh, in that regard. You've now got basically one of the biggest names in factual television in the world, Discovery, parking its own streamer tank on your lawn, if you like. How does having Discovery Plus in the market affect what you guys are doing? So I think Devin and I probably talk about this from two different angles. I guess I, I can speak about it just from a, a B2B commercial partnerships, uh, that, that standpoint. So uh, the one thing I'd say kind of first and foremost is because the streaming phenomenon is still, you know, in, relative to the industry, uh, a relatively new thing, uh, I really do think that it's, you know, all of these guys serve as complementary services uh, for the category. And, you know, obviously Netflix came in early on and really pioneered the category and made the on-demand world something that uh, has caused a lot of uh, consumers to really want to go to that space. So the more the more that the category fills out, uh, I think the better for us all. All boats rise, I guess, in that scenario. So, you know, when it comes to more specifically um, getting deals with new partners and, and rolling out our service, well, then you're faced with more, you know, who gets the next slot in that bundle and um, who is, you know, focused on by the operators. And uh, what I'd say there is we are very much uh, 
in a different race as Discovery and, and many of the others uh, because we have, as you just said, really focused our efforts on uh, being a pure factual player. Um, obviously, Discovery has branched out into many other areas uh, and a lot of the others you know, have many other genres and things that they offer inside of their streaming products. Uh, but because we are, um, you know, I can name it and Devin, maybe you know uh, more, but can't name another broad streamer that has, has a pure factual play at, like we do. And when we bring that to um, distributors, you know, bar none, uh, we, we've heard that uh, people appreciate what we're doing and acknowledge that there's a space there and, and really have valued us for that all over. And our, our content obviously travels very, very well um, and is uh, engaging people all over and, and from market to market. So I would say that. So again, I, when, I, when we talk about linear channels, I think those are the days where the shelf space is very, very tight, bandwidth is limited. So it's sort of one person versus the next or one brand versus the next. In the streaming world, I think I don't think we're there yet. I think, um, you know, there's still room for, for multiple players and we haven't heard the capacity constraints and things that we were used to dealing with. So I do think that um, uh, there's a complementary nature of all the services. But uh, again, when you get specific, we are kind of in our own race and when it comes to factual. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, there's a misconception in the market that people are looking for three streaming services and that's kind of it, right? That's I, I see that quoted all the time. It's based on market research that is not, you know, particularly great. Because if you're asking people, you know, what do you want to pay for? Typically, they're going to say, I don't want to pay for things, right? But in reality, they do. Um, and so perhaps this is controversial to say, but I think Discovery Plus will be successful, and I hope Discovery Plus is successful. You know, I think that there's a lot of room for a lot of really strong businesses in the area that we're building. But as McCord was saying, we're not doing the same thing, right? I view Discovery Plus very similarly to how I view HBO Max or Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus in that they're a general entertainment programmer, right? They're primarily entertainment programming, not necessarily scripted, but definitely not unscripted, right? It's, it's unscripted reality TV. And they found a great niche there and they're doing a very good job of that. And that's primarily what people are going to get their value from Discovery Plus for is, you know, they push, I know, 90 Day Fiance and Thousand Pound Sisters and that sort of stuff. And people like it. And I think they're going to have a really strong business with that. They also have very good factual content. So does Netflix. So does HBO. So do a lot of places, but they do not have kind of by definition, the portal experience of factual that we do. Right. So, you know, you might've seen the charts that, that float around from time to time in terms of like connected TV market share and how people are using their time between these services. What you'll notice is that the two that really float really high are Netflix and YouTube. And the reason for that is that currently in the current market, those are kind of the defaults, right? So if you're looking for air quotes, something to watch, turn on Netflix, turn on YouTube, you browse around, you try to find something. Uh, we're that for factual, right? So if you're looking for something factual to watch, we're going to be the best place to go and find that. And that's a massive category. So as we're building that, we kind of build that portal that other people aren't going to have. So people are going to watch you know, Planet Earth with Discovery and BBC. People are going to watch our planet, which I think is Netflix, people are going to watch great HBO docs. You know, honestly, we'd be worried if they weren't, right? We'd be worried if all these streamers weren't making great factual content, but we love it. We watch it. And then we have a better experience for the full category. So, you know, Discovery Plus, obviously their shared DNA, obviously people like to kind of compare and contrast what we're doing. But from our point of view, what they're doing is not a whole lot of different than another general entertainment programmer who is also has a good factual category. Interesting, because my, my, my next question, in all honesty, was going to be, at what point do we reach a level where people say, well, I can't have seven, eight, nine different subscriptions. I think I'm kind of getting to that point myself now where I, I think I've got seven streaming subscriptions. What happens when people get to that point? How do you make your 
bundles the essential to make sure you're in that bundle of, of six for people. But I'm kind of getting the vibe that you don't necessarily see the direction of travel like that. Um, well, it is and it isn't, right? It's, there's going to be, instead of being one size fits all, it's going to be a ton of different sizes fit a ton of different types of people. So some people have 15, some people have two, some people have six, some people have three. And so it's basically building up what your market size is and how you want to position yourself for that. And so if you are a very niche, high cost service, you're going to have a small audience, but you can make some decent revenue, right? Like if you're charging $15 a month and your you know, addressable market is something like 500,000 people, you can build a business there and more power to you, do it. You know, if you are a super niche and you're charging that much and you expect to grow massively, you're not going to, but that's not what we're doing, right? We are, again, we're very low cost. I mean, our pricing right now for an entire year on our HD tier is $20 for the year, right? That is a very easy add-on for someone who is very price sensitive and a very easy add-on for someone who is totally not price sensitive. So we're very strategic in how we position ourselves in the market so that anyone, if you're if you're very selective about streaming services and you really don't want seven, we're a great add-on. And if you want 15, we're a you know no-brainer add-on. Obviously, you're competing for viewers and subscribers, but you're also competing for uh, producers and shows, I guess, producers to come and work with you as opposed to working with the other guy. Are you able to uh, to do that with your programming budgets against the budgets that some of these other bigger players uh, can can offer for programs? Or, or are you just programming in such a different space that you don't really have competitors? How does it stack up program budget-wise? Uh, there's, there's a bunch of different answers to that. I mean, the first is that we have really strong relationships with people. And so we're often a preferred partner or the preferred partner um, in the US, but also globally to work with for a lot of reasons. I mean, we're great to work with, but there's there's other reasons there as well. Um, and then look, there are projects that Netflix is going to pay or you know overpay for that we're not. And that's fine. Again, like there are going to be projects that we're not going to, to get or bid on because um, someone else is. And that's not really an issue because there's so much out there that they are not going to spend their time on. They don't have the focus that we have in the space. And so, you know, as I was alluding to, to earlier, a lot of times people who are building these projects want to work with a partner for who, you know, their project is going to be a huge thing that everyone is really excited about. And the audience is like dying to watch versus sliding it on to a larger platform, but a platform that's, you know, going to put it up on a carousel, see how it does. And then if it doesn't do well, never think about it again. Um, so there's, there's a lot of dynamics that make us a more favorable partner for producers. And then at the same time, you know, we're not going to lose sleep over a specific project that Netflix is really interested in going to Netflix, because again, we view people, you know, consuming ravenously factual content on other service as some of the best validation for what we're doing that's out there. Devin Emery and Bakuri Davis from Curiosity Stream. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>